Last week, we were in Genesis 44. And we saw through Joseph's eyes the transformation of his brothers. The men had learned to to put others first. They had learned self-sacrifice. They were acting out of love for others instead of their own selfish purposes. They had changed. And we talked about how just as God used hard times in the lives of the brothers to change them into better men, so God uses the hard times that we go through to shape us and mold us into the people he desires, that he has designed us to be. Chapter 44 ends with a plea from Judah, the brother who has become the spokesman, the leader, even though he's not the eldest. As the chapter closes, we see Judah informing Joseph, whom he does not recognize as his brother, but only sees him as an Egyptian ruler, about their life and and their father. Judah is pleading with Joseph to let Benjamin return home so that their father would not die of grief. The brothers had already taken one of his favored sons from him. Please don't let them take another. And and if he assists on taking Benjamin, then he must take all of them, for they will not abandon their brother, and they will not again in this way betray their father. And that's where we pick up with the story this morning. We'll be reading from Genesis 45, and we'll be looking at verses 1 to 11. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I encourage you to read along. If not... The words will be up on the screen. Genesis 45, verses 1 to 11, we read the word of the Lord. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence! So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers, and he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph! Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one who, sold, who you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there has been famine in the land, and for the next five years there will be no plowing and reaping, but God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, This is what your son Joseph says. God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me. You, your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds, and all you have, I'll provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. Thus ends the reading. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, for your word is truth. God, I pray that you would speak to us through your word this morning, that you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. We pray this in your name. Amen. Ever been like straight up busted doing something that you knew you weren't supposed to be doing? Often we talk about it as being like caught red-handed. A month or so ago, I told the story of how at night I would wait for my parents to go down to the basement of the house I grew up in to watch their shows and, and to eat their snacks and enjoy the quiet of a house with sleeping children in it. 
And then I would softly sneak down to the, the main floor and raid their stash of peanut M&Ms that they had hidden up in the top of one of the cupboards in the kitchen. Eventually, my actions were found out, not by my parents, but by my sister. There was one night I didn't wait long enough for my other siblings to be fully asleep, and my sister watched me leave the light of the doorway where I had been reading, and when I returned, I had a handful of peanut M&M goodness. And of course, she wanted some. It was too risky to return to the scene of the crime that night, so I was forced to share on threat of blackmail if I didn't. The next day, I explained to her where the M&Ms were, you know, pointed it out, scoped out what was going on. We, we made plans for her to be the one that made the thief run that night, my poor sister. And the excitement of having someone else in on the scam with me, I had overlooked a few technological advancements that had been made around the house. For you see, some nights my dad would still be at work and my mom would be on the phone when I made my M&M run. But we had a corded phone, so I could see the cord wrap around the corner of the hallway leading to her bedroom. We, we had a crazy long cord on that home phone, long enough to again wrap around the corner, go down the short hallway, and allow my mom to lay in bed while she talked to whomever it was that she talked to. What I had overlooked is that my parents had upgraded the phone. We'd gone from the rotary corded phone to a wireless one. On the night of my sister's big heist, I was going to play the lookout, and, and she was going to play thief. We, we waited for our other siblings to go to sleep, and then I perched myself in the upstairs landing and listened to the house. And I, couldn't, I couldn't hear anything. Mom and Dad must be in the basement by now, and so I signaled my sister that it was time, that, that, that everything was in the clear, and she could go down and make the M&M run. Down the stairs she crept. I could hear her pull herself up onto the counter and, and open the cupboard door. It squeaked a little. She hadn't listened to me when I told her you need to pull up on the handle a little bit or else, or else it would squeak. But it wasn't long and, and it wasn't loud. And then I heard the fumbling of the M&M bag. She had made it. And about the, that time, my, my heart dropped into my stomach for I heard the bedroom door open and listened as my mom wrapped up a conversation with the person on the other end. I had thought my parents were in the basement. The telephone cord wasn't around the corner. Mom couldn't have been on the phone except that she was. She was just on the new cordless phone. My mom didn't see me on the landing of the stairs, but she couldn't miss my sister up to her elbows in the M&M bag on the kitchen counter. Ever been caught? red-handed. Ever been caught with your hand in the proverbial cookie jar? In our text this morning, that is exactly where the brothers find themselves. It's been a pretty trying month or so for these guys. They, they started out starving, and so they head to Egypt, the only place with food, and while they are there, the dude in charge locks them up for three days, accusing them of being spies, and they don't understand it. They don't get it. We, we aren't spies, they insist. But the guy in charge doesn't care. He locks them up anyways. And, and in prison, their consequences get the best of them. Their consciences, sorry, get the best of them. They are reminded again of their betrayal of their brother Joseph, how they had planned to kill him, and how they had instead sold him into slavery. And they are convinced that this time in prison is, is, is uh, the reason that they're in prison is punishment, is continued punishment for their actions all those years ago. 
And then when the Egyptian ruler sends them home with the grain they originally came to purchase so that their families don't starve, he keeps one of the brothers behind as collateral so that they will return. But if they want to see that hostage again, if they want to buy grain from their starving families again, the next time they come to Egypt, they need to bring their dad's favorite son, Benjamin, who is kept at home for safety reasons. This is highly irregular. Like, this is not normal. We're just trying to buy grain, bro. Like, I don't understand why you're doing these things. This, this, this doesn't make any sense. And, and, and they don't get it, right? And their dad won't let them take Benjamin to Egypt, so they just get hungrier and hungrier until finally Judah confronts him and Jacob relents. And all the brothers head back to Egypt and Benjamin is among them. And when they get to Egypt, the same ruler they saw last time invites them to his house for a feast, and they join him, and they are fed more food than they have seen in a very, very long time. And the brother that was held hostage is returned to them, and they party into the night with this Egyptian ruler. And then the next day, they're heading home, only to be stopped and accused of being thieves. They insist on their innocence, but there in Benjamin's bag is the cup that they are accused of stealing. Benjamin is taken back to the Egyptian ruler and all the brothers all load up their donkeys and follow him. They burst into the house of the Egyptian and fall on their knees before him, begging for the life of their brother, for the life of their father is closely tied to his. If Benjamin is taken, the father will die of grief and they make their case. And in response to their pleas, the Egyptian ruler sends all of his people out of the room. Everybody that works for me, everybody but these dudes, get out. I don't, you know, you're, not, you're not welcome here right now, you got to get out. So, so they get out, and it's like the end of a great mystery novel where the mystery is revealed, and the Egyptian ruler takes off his mask and confesses to the brothers that he is actually their brother Joseph. And at that point, the mystery story turns into a horror story for the brothers, doesn't it? All these years, they had kept a secret. The ten of them were the only ones that knew what had actually happened to Joseph. They thought him dead. They had betrayed him, sold him into slavery, and couldn't imagine that spoiled brat surviving long as a slave. They were convinced he was no longer among the living. Added to that, what about the lie they'd told their dad? To cover up their sin, to cover up their lies, they had torn his cloak of many colors, his special gift from dad, and soaked it in goat's blood, and told their father that they had found it that way, that Joseph must have been eaten by wild animals. And yet Joseph wasn't dead. Here he was, very much alive, standing right in front of them, and they are terrified. They are terrified because he is the one that they have wronged. Yes, they lied to dad. Yes, they kept and guarded the lie all these years, and the guilt and shame had been at work in them because of it. But here is the guy they had lied about. Here is the one they had wronged. All their fears come crashing in around them. Here is the one... Here's the one. The one they had wronged stood before them, and he stood there with the power for vengeance. This was the guy in charge of rationing food. He was the second most powerful person in the most powerful country in the world. He could do whatever he wanted with them. He could snuff them out, and it would be like they had never existed. One snap of his fingers, and the whole little miserable clan of Israel would be like dust in the wind and forgotten even more quickly. They were at the mercy of the one they had wronged and the one who could demand justice. And that is a terrifying place to be. And whether we like it or not, that is where we as sinners find ourselves, isn't it? 
Because ultimately, every sin we ever commit is not just against ourselves or the one that we have hurt, but against God. And he has the power to bring justice. I remember sitting on the stairs watching my mom come around that corner and feeling horrible. Feeling so guilty. My sister was about to get in so much trouble, and it was really my fault. And there was no doubt in my mind that she was going to rat me out, and I was going to get in even worse trouble than she did. But my thoughts didn't stop there. How could I have put her in this situation, I asked myself. This was my plan, this was my scheme, and I'm the one that failed here. I'm the one that failed her. And then ultimately, what am I doing? Why am I stealing candy from mom and dad? And then beyond that, I I know that I'm not supposed to steal. I know that it felt good to crunch that combination of chocolate and peanuts between my molars. But I also know that stealing is not something that I'm supposed to be doing. The Bible's pretty clear on that. Thou shall not steal is printed in bold block letters on a stone tablet handed down from God. It's pretty clear. So ultimately, though I have sinned against my sister in setting her up for this situation, and I have sinned against my parents for taking from them what doesn't belong to me in the first place, I am ultimately sinning against God because I am doing what he has expressly told me not to do. And we don't often really want to go there. But truly, that is the only path for the sinner to take. When we sin against others, we sin against God. When I stole from my parents and, my, and sent my sister in to do the dirty work, I was sinning against God. When Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery, they weren't just sinning against Joseph, they were sinning against God. When we do the things that we know that we're not supposed to do, we aren't just sinning against ourselves or against our neighbor, we are sinning against God. And God has the power to bring justice, doesn't he? And how do we feel about that? Every scrap of sin in our life, every time we lose our temper or misuse our words, every time we color the truth in a shade that, you know, maybe we like just a little bit more, every time we say something about someone else that isn't accurate or is accurate and shouldn't be said, every time we lie, cheat, steal, abuse, hurt, envy, and put ourselves before God and our neighbor, we are ultimately accountable to God. We are ultimately accountable to the creator of the universe, the all-knowing one, the all-powerful one, and he has the ability to bring justice. So how are we doing with that? How are we doing with that? How does God respond to us when he rips off the mask and we realize that it is him we have been betraying, that our secrets are found out? And our mystery story is about to turn into a horror story. How does God respond? How did Joseph respond to the terror of his brothers? We read in verse 4, Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. Come close to me. He didn't blow up on them in anger. He didn't freak out on them. He didn't yell, Gotcha, you little punks. You're going to pay now. He had the power to get the justice that he deserved. But instead of destroying his brothers, he saw their distress and he called them closer to him. As soon as my mom rounded that corner, my sister saw her. 
And I expected my sister to do what I would have done and, and launch into a defense. I expected her to blame me, to come at me, to point as much of my mother's wrath away from her and onto me as she could manage. But she didn't. Instead, my sister started crying. And it will be a very long time before I forget hearing that little girl sitting on the counter with her hand wrapped around the forbidden fruit, the oh-so-tempting peanut M&M's, and crying out, I'm sorry, Mommy. I'm so sorry. Forgive me. And soon my little sister's tears were accompanied by my mom's. I couldn't see it from my vantage point, but I could hear it. As my mom crossed the space between them, and instead of yelling at her daughter, instead of giving her daughter the punishment that she deserved, she gently lifted my sister's hands from the bag and pried the M&Ms from her fingers and embraced her. With tears running down her cheeks, I heard my mother chokingly say to my sister, I love you and I forgive you. It is tempting for us to believe that as sinners, God approaches us with wrath. But the truth of Jesus Christ tells us a different story. The truth of Jesus Christ tells us that God does not want to be separated from us, but that he wants to be in relationship with us. But his perfection and our sinfulness made it so that the personal relationship that he wanted with us, the, the closeness that he desired to have with us was not possible and so to deal with the separation and to bring reconciliation, God sent his son, Jesus. And Jesus came and, and he lived with us and he ate with us. He walked with us. He talked with us. He was hungry and thirsty alongside us. He sweat under the same sun that we do and walked long, dusty roads getting dirty and smelly alongside us. God became man. But where man is sinful, Jesus was not. He was, he was perfect. Not once did he experience guilt or shame, for he never committed a single sin. And then one day he was betrayed. And though it was Judas that betrayed him, it was for our sin that he carried that cross up that hill to Calvary, to Golgotha, to the place of the skull. And there he was nailed to the cross and the cursed tree that he had carried. And, and on that cross he suffered, for on that cross he became sin for us. He became the sin that we have done, that each and every one of us has done, are doing, and will do. Christ became sin, and because Christ became sin, God abandoned him on that cross and in our place. And there Jesus died on that cross and in our place. But he didn't stay dead. No, three days later, he rose from the grave and in so doing, Christ defeated sin and death so that when we believe in Jesus, when we confess that we needed his work on the cross, that we need that work, that we aren't good enough to earn our way into relationship with God, when we confess we need Jesus, the Bible tells us that we have put on Jesus. So that when God looks at us, he doesn't see the sinful rags for they were taken from us, but instead he sees the righteousness of Christ which has been given to us through faith. And so Christian... Those of us who trust in Jesus and by faith are covered in his righteousness. When we are caught with our hands full of the forbidden fruit, when we are caught in our sin, God does not rush to us and cut off our hand and bring punishment and justice. Jesus Christ took all of our punishment. He took the wrath of God on the cross. So when God approaches us in our sin, it is not to punish us, but to bring us 
closer. God helps us let go of the M&Ms. He helps us to drop the sin that we have held on to back into the bag. And as we come face to face with our guilt and our shame and ask our God for forgiveness, he tears or the tears run down his face and he embraces us. He pulls us deeply into his loving arms and says, I love you and I forgive you, my child. This is the grace that God has poured out over us. He has forgiven the sin that he didn't have to. He has forgiven us for things that he had every right to punish us for. But God does not seek to punish us. Instead, he seeks to reconcile with us. He looks at us and says, come closer to me. There are a lot of different places we could go with a text like the one we have today. Joseph follows up his statement of come close to me with the recognition of God's hand throughout his own story and how God's working through Joseph's suffering is an act of providence for his entire family. And we'll get there. But we'll get there next week. Today, as you leave and and go about your day, I want you to leave with the words of Joseph. And I want to encourage you with the truth that the words of Joseph to his brothers are the words of God to each and every one of us. Come close to me. No matter what you have done, no matter what sin you are carrying, God desires to be reconciled to you. He desires to have you close to him. He wants to wrap his loving arms around you and tell you that you are forgiven, that his grace is enough for all that you have done and his mercy will never end. Know that the God who created you is not seeking to punish you or bring justice upon you. Know that the hard things in life that you are experiencing are not the cosmic hand of God slapping you around for your failings. We live in a sinful and broken world. Hard things happen. As we talked about last week, God is not above using those things to shape us, to sanctify us to use us in the mission and ministry that he has prepared for us. But know that they are not God judging you. They are not God pushing you away. God will never fall out of love with you. He is constantly calling you out of your sin, pronouncing forgiveness, and gently requesting, come close to me. What a fantastic, loving, and gracious God we serve. Amen.